0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think sometimes it's important to remember that it all started during a boring church meeting. There's a bunch of would-be followers of Jesus, they're sitting around, they're reminiscing about the good old days, praying about what to do next, when boom, the Holy Spirit shows up. Tongues like fire descend upon each of them. They start to speak in different languages. They fumble out of the house. Accusations are made of their drunkenness, but it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Peter stands up. He speaks with a loud voice and he preaches the very first Christian sermon. This Jesus, we all know him, saw what he did, heard what he said, died, buried, forsaken in a tomb. Three days later, God gave him back to us. Of this, we are all witnesses, and the crowds go wild. They start to shout, what should we do? What should we do? And Peter turned preacher. He says, turn. Get baptized. Receive forgiveness. Receive the Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people are added to the church. I Means revival. The Spirit is moving. 3,000 people are added to the church. It builds until this moment of evangelistic triumph right at the end. So much so that we might expect this to be the end of the story. But the Spirit is just getting started. In this time of Marvel movies, when people wait till after the credits for the post-credit stinger to find out what really happens in the story, the Bible was the first to give it to us. This is the post-credit stinger for the. Day of Pentecost. 3,000 have joined this thing called church. They devote themselves to teaching and preaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And all are together and they're sharing all their things. They even sell their possessions and give to those who are in need. They keep worshiping. They keep breaking bread. They're beloved by all and God keeps adding to their number. See, the church, it just adds to the good and strange work of reflecting on the implications of the empty tomb. The church is in the business of teaching and preaching so that it knows what it is about and what it isn't about. The church is involved in fellowshipping, gathering together. Water is now thicker than blood. The ties of baptism unite a people who otherwise have nothing in common save for the fact that Jesus calls them his friends. They're starting to hold all things in common, going past all the understandings of reciprocity of the day. And they're spending time around the table. And Jesus is accused again and again of keeping the wrong kind of company. He eats, he drinks, he hangs out with sinners. That's what the church does too. And all those markers, those distinctions, those labels of our faults and failures, they begin to disappear as this table grows crowded. And the best part of all, the church prays. The church prays. They commune with God just as much as they commune with each other. They speak to God. They listen to what God says. They open themselves up to the unpredictability of the Spirit. They open up their hands to a pastor that says, Get up there and dance, Ronnie St. Clair. They're ready to see what wild and wondrous thing happens next. I don't know about you, but whenever I read this story, this story, This bit of Acts chapter 2, the post credit stinger. Every time I read this, all I can think is, that's the church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Luke says that everyone there, they're in awe because of all that they are witnessing. They're in awe. And I think the word witness is important. Witnessing is not the same thing as observing. Observance implies distance and immutability, whereas witnessing, it conveys a change because of the witness. In other words, witnessing includes the witnesses in what is happening. And the gospel requires witnesses because Jesus is not just some general truth that we can know about without people who tell us about it. The truth that the church witnesses to is not a set of principles or programs or even procedures. The truth that we witness to is a person. It's Jesus. You are to be my witnesses, Jesus says. He charges the disciples even to the ends of the earth. Why? So that the world might know that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And the same thing is true today. And that kind of witnessing, it's not just a threat against those who hold power, though sometimes it could be. It's just that the proclamation of Jesus' lordship, it calls into question our understandings of power, about who is first, who is last, who is important, and who isn't. The movement of the spirit that births the church, it creates a new understanding of community. We might even call it a new politics. Living for other people is a completely ridiculous, bonkers, and buckwild idea. Getting rid of our possessions so that others can benefit from it is a wild and far cry how everything else goes in life. Holding all things in common isn't normal. It's therefore not surprising that the disciples of Acts get in trouble constantly because of the work of the Spirit. The Spirit keeps sending them into places. They keep doing this kind of reckless behavior according to the world, and they get locked up. They get thrown into prison because it runs against the grain of how things are supposed to be. They get in trouble. John Lewis called this trouble good trouble. It's good trouble because the church is, was, and always will be countercultural. All the things in these few verses from Acts, it sounds like the beginning of a political revolution. We just have a different word for it. We call it church. And yet, even as extreme as it might sound, it also sounds so ordinary, boring even. Day by day, they spend time in the temple, they break bread, they eat with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having the goodwill of all the people. It can sound a bit rote to those of us who have been around the church for a while, just the same old, same old. But to those outside the church, this stuff sounds like a miracle. And the world needs the witness of the church. Otherwise, it will never know that there is an alternative to the world. Back in March of this year, a church in Winston-Salem gathered for worship on a Sunday morning, just kind of like we are right now. And at the beginning part of their worship service, just like we do, they had announcements the sharing of the comings and the goings in the life of the church. And they announced something rather startling that Sunday morning in March in Winston-Salem. The church said, by the way, we'd like to share with you that as of today, the church has paid off $3.3 million of medical debt from 3,533 people in Winston-Salem. We've paid off $3.3 million of debt for 3,533 people in Winston-Salem. And when they announced it, they had... uh, cannons with confetti that launched in the church and everyone started going buck wild they started celebrating they were dancing just like Ronnie in church cuz i mean 3.3 million dollars of debt gone disappeared just like that and miraculously they were able to do this not with 3.3 million dollars but with 15,000 dollars of donations There's a nonprofit out there called RIP Medical Debt where they purchase debt at pennies on the dollar and then they give it to a church and they basically say, if you give us $15,000, that's what we paid for it, it all goes away. $3.3 million of debt gone for 15 grand. Now, of course, the church was celebrated by local news, national news. I mean, it's a remarkable thing, $3.3 million of debt gone just like that. But when they were interviewed, the church, the pastor was interviewed, what an amazing thing you did. You know what they said? Just be in the church. Ordinary kind of stuff, you know? Does that sound ordinary to you? That That a group of people would take their own money and use it to erase the debts of other people. I mean, does it sound ordinary to think of convictions and beliefs leading some to do something so successful and radical? Truly, I tell you, the people of that church in Winston-Salem, they didn't just wake up one morning and think, gosh, you know what we should do today? We should erase $3.3 million in medical debt for other people. You know why they did that? They did it because of Jesus. That kind of living is not possible without the reckless nature of the spirit who comes to stir things up and turn things upside down. The church has been like this since the beginning. Even the Methodists, that's how we got started. There was a fellow by the name of John Wesley. I like to call him J. Dubs. <laughs> J. Dubs was concerned that the Church of England no longer took seriously the power of the spirit. He started to gather together like-minded Christians for renewal and revival. They met for prayer for fellowship, for the breaking of bread. Does that sound familiar? They started to do this day after day. And you know what happened? The fastest growing renewal church movement in the history of the church. Collections of people who called themselves Methodists started to spread so quickly, they started to build schools and hospitals where there were no schools and there were no hospitals. They traveled out into the far country with nothing but the gospel hope in their pockets and things started to change. Wesley put it this way. He said, you know, if you set yourself on fire, people will come from miles to watch you burn. If you set yourself on fire, people will come from miles to watch you burn. Even here at Raleigh Court United Methodist Church, The Holy Spirit set loose a group of Christians more than 100 years ago for the work that we're still doing. It was like-minded Christians living in a neighborhood who looked out at a world that had just endured a global pandemic, economic uncertainty, threats of war happening in other places, and they thought, you know what? This neighborhood needs prayer, fellowship, the breaking of bread. This neighborhood needs a church. And here we are. More than 100 years later. All of it, from the church that started in Acts chapter 2 to the church started by J. Dubbs to Raleigh Court, it's all because of Jesus. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It's Jesus. It's Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit that is the agent of renewal. Whether it's in the world or in the church or anywhere in between, Jesus is the difference that makes all the difference. I think the church is a wild place, all things considered. we take time to spend time with one another and with god we devote ourselves to the apostles teaching and preaching we break bread with glad and generous hearts i think that's why later paul describes the presence of the spirit by saying love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control the fruits of the spirit if you have those things you have the spirit with you because the spirit brings freedom A freedom that releases us from the the bondage of individuality, of thinking that it's always me, 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 me. The gospel says, no, it's actually we, 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 we. The Spirit frees us to actually love God and love other people. It frees us from the plague of narcissism. Therefore, whenever we gather together, we shouldn't be surprised to witness the Spirit do all sorts of wild things. The Spirit of God is liable to show up and shake us around and send us out, even kick us out, making us far more interesting than we would ever be on our own. You just look around the church. Just look around for a minute. Some of us might live in the same neighborhoods. We might share similar political proclivities. We might even root for the same sports teams. But the only thing that we all actually share in common is Jesus. And Jesus holds us in common together as the church for the world. When I stand up here, I don't like to use the word must or should or ought, because all those musts and shoulds and oughts, they don't muster up to a very lively faith. I don't know about you. I don't don't like being told what to do all the time. I want the gospel to just do it. But for a moment, I think the church ought to be a showcase for what the Spirit can do. The church ought to be an alternative to the ways of the world. At the very least, the church ought to become a bunch of people who aren't boring, doing boring things, but exciting people who are doing exciting things. One of my professors from seminary, Stanley Harawa, said that the only thing worse than heresy in the church is a boring church. Nothing about the gospel is boring. Sharing our lives together, breaking bread singing our prayers is the opposite of boring church is an adventure it's an adventure we don't know what the future holds but we know who holds the future it's a joyful way to live i think being part of the church it's exciting you never know what god's going to do next you never know who god's going to nudge or tap or kick to do something for the kingdom it's joyful because we're filled with the spirit it's joyful because god isn't done with us it's joyful because we know jesus few years ago i was serving a different church and i noticed one morning a woman that had arrived to worship during the first hymn i shared this before one of the nice things about being the pastor you know you all look around you might see the head the back of the head of the person in front of you maybe a couple people i see everything i see everyone i know who shows up late i know who leaves early i know who checks their phone i know who falls asleep i know it all so I was up in the pulpit one Sunday and a woman had, had come through and she, she came during the first hymn. In my head, I was you know, talking and praying, but I'm thinking, oh, okay, Taylor, make sure you check with her. She's new. She's never been here before. you got to talk to her after church. And after the benediction, I walked down the center aisle and I went to go find her and she was gone. Thought, oh, wasn't a very good sermon that day. But then the next Sunday, she came back. Again, she came in during the first hymn. It's a bit odd. She's late two Sundays in a row. That's okay. We got people who are late all the time. But then I noticed, because I was keeping an eye on her, that during the last hymn, during the last verse, she left. She came late, she left early. And now she had become a project. <laughs> so after this happened two or three Sundays in a row, I decided at that church we were doing the, pass, the piece at the very beginning of the service. It was like, hey, everybody, uh, let's pass the piece. And she was never here for it, so I decided one Sunday to put it right in the middle of the church service right in the middle I just said out of nowhere oh let's all stand up and share signs of Christ's peace and everyone got up started shaking hands and I was going down the center aisle and people were saying, hey pastors get out of my way I got something to do I went all the way to the back of the church and I found her I said hi my name's Taylor I'm the pastor here I'm sorry I haven't gotten a chance to introduce myself what brings you here what brings you here and she took her finger and she pointed across the church at a woman named Diane and she said her she's the reason I'm here I said, well, you got to tell me more than that. She said, my husband lost his job about six weeks ago. And I don't know how she found out, her, maybe through a neighbor or a friend, I don't know. But she showed up at my house the week my husband lost his job and she had a casserole for dinner. Total stranger, can you believe that someone would do that? I said, yeah, I know Diane. And she said, but the weirdest thing was, that was the first week, The next week came around, I thought, oh, one-time thing, someone's being nice. You know what happened the next week? She came back with another casserole and another dinner. And she did it the third week and the fourth week. And so I finally said to her, woman, what are you doing? You don't know me at all. Why are you doing this for me? She said, I know I don't know you. But Jesus does. And that's good enough for me. And so the woman, during the passing of peace, she looked at me and she said, so she keeps talking about Jesus and I decide I need to find out about this Jesus you keep preaching about. Day by day, as we spend much time together in church, as we break bread at home and we eat our food with glad and generous hearts, as we praise God and we have goodwill of all people, day by day the Lord will add to our number those who are being saved. Come, Holy Spirit, and make it so. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.